Listener Production. Today's episode carries a trigger warning for domestic violence. So if the content makes you uncomfortable, you might want to sit this one out. If you or someone you know needs help, you can get support at 1800respect.org.au or call the helpline on 1800RESPECT. I'm Action Alexa, former college American football player and wrestler turned half Ironman competitor. I've recovered from alcoholism and managed to die on the operating table four times. And now I'm a strength coach and motivational speaker. And I'm Jenna Louise, an ex-competitive gymnast and BMX racer, now a multidisciplined, high-performance athlete and coach. Over the course of our careers within the fitness industry, we've seen firsthand the impact that physical strength and mental toughness can have in changing the course of people's lives. In our podcast, How Fitness Saved My Life, We invite people to share the stories and practical skills of how they built their physical, mental and emotional fitness and how that saved them at the hardest time of their life. A lot of people look at bare knuckle boxing or MMA, they kind of screw their nose up at it. Like there's, you know, there's no honour in that and it's just barbaric, but they don't understand the discipline and the amount of training that goes into it. Our guest today is the first female bare-knuckle fighting world champion and the epitome of a strong and capable woman. But behind the tattoos and tough exterior, Beck Rodriguez, aka Rowdy Beck, was fighting a much more dangerous battle outside of the ring. For three years, Beck was the unlikely victim of domestic violence. And today, she shares her powerful story of survival and her consequent road to recovery. Not to mention how she channeled the anger from her trauma into discipline and fitness, leading her to become the undisputed champion she is today. Welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) It is such a pleasure, such an honour to have you on our show today, Beck. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Look, I'm just going to jump right in at the beginning, which is a little birdie told me that you may have been kicked out of school for fighting is this where it all began for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was kind of kicked out. I was given a choice. Mm. It was basically if you come back for year 10, you won't be allowed to um, enjoy, you know, your, we have a leaders dinner, which is I think a formal here or I'm not yeah, sure what yep. it's called in, in Sydney. Formals, yep. Yeah, I wouldn't be allowed to like enjoy any of the festivities that comes with completing year 10. Uh, basically, they were just saying like, look, we don't really want you back. <laughs> Wow. Um, but it was a choice. of your shit. <laughs> yeah, so I still kind of had a choice. Um, so I, I decided to go to TAFE and complete uh, year 10 and 11 at TAFE, which I really fit in well there. But, yeah, I was a bit of a troublemaker uh, in high school. I definitely self-sabotaged a lot. I was a bit of a rebel. I definitely had an anger management problem. So I kind of lashed out and kind of just picked fights all the time just just to set myself up so I didn't have to be in school. You know, if I got into a fight and got into trouble, they'd send me home. So (laughs) it was kind of my way out, my way way of getting out of school. You know, I was going through a little bit of a rough patch um, and thankfully I had my eldest son, Zake, and that kind of snapped me out of being kind of, you know, a little brat and going down the wrong the wrong path. And then that's how I kind of found fighting as well. I just needed to put my anger and emotions into something and strive for something. And I decided what's what's better than punching, you know, punching something and learning how oh to... Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah, and get punched back. And, and I, I found a whole new respect for 
uh, myself and others and it definitely really changed my life uh, for the good. Um, so, yeah, it was a very good good choice of sport to try and, you know, dive into and it has, has changed my life. At what age did you decide that that was the career choice for you? Had you always wanted to be a fighter? No, I grew up doing basketball and oh. gymnastics. I was always quite athletic. Um, my mum still shakes her head at me because she's like, oh, you could have been so good at basketball. You should have gone so far, but always highly competitive. I never did any combat sports until I dove into kickboxing, like a cardio kickboxing mm. class. And then I saw an MMA class going on at the same time. So I dove into that because it really interested me, the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu side of, of MMA. So and I never really looked back. And I had no idea that you could fight legally in MMA <laughs> and get paid to do it. So when really? my coaches approached me, they're like, oh, do you want to fight? You know, you, you get paid this much. And I've, like, looked at them all confused. And I'm like, you're telling me you're going to pay me to fight someone <laughs> and I won't go to jail for it. <laughs> oh, my God, this is so great. This I'm like, so sign great. me up. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> oh. And, yeah, never, never looked back. Isn't it so funny? Like, because I used to be a strength coach at a mixed martial arts gym in Hong Kong. And I remember one of the biggest draw cards of getting parents to enroll their kids into a fighting discipline or into a mixed martial arts was the fact that even though you're fighting, it seems to be a really great place where you actually learn, ironically, discipline yeah. and control and respect for both yeah. yourself and your opponents. Is that kind of what you found? Yes, yeah, so it gave me, um, it humbled me a lot. It gave me a lot of humility. I realised that there's no, like any loser can go out in the street and fight, um, but to discipline yourself and learn, you know, the, the proper crafts of fighting and engage in a fight with someone that's just as skilled as you and, you know, have people watching, there's, there's way more honour in that than there is, you know, going out and picking a fight on the street. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely, it, it gave me a lot of a newfound respect for, um, myself and um, my body and what, what I can put my mind and my body through and obviously a lot of respect for, for other fighters and people in general. It definitely just changed my whole perspective of, of looking at the world. That's so great. Oh, my God, absolutely. Is there a rule, like say if you were out in public and someone picked a fight with you? Because I know I got told once that like if you were trained in a fighting discipline and someone picks a fight with you, you have to warn them that you're trained like, yo, I'm like a black belt in jiu-jitsu. If you come at me, I might hurt you. Because if you <laughs> I if mean, you is there time don't... to do that? How is there time to I do that? Think, see, I don't think there is a rule per se, but I definitely think that if we were, if I was to get into, you know, a fight with someone on the street, I would be held at a higher yeah. standing, I think, with the courts because I'm meant to have self-control um, and I'm meant to have the ability and, you know, to kind of de-escalate a situation. So I think, you know, if someone was to approach me and, you know, try and fight me out in the street, I don't, I think I'd just laugh at them because <laughs> I know I don't have to prove anything to them. But obviously if someone was to actually physically assault me, I would do my best to control the situation and not, you know, I wouldn't just engage in a full-on fight, but I'd definitely make them look silly. But, um, yeah, I think as a trained fighter, you kind of have that responsibility not to lose your cool and, you know, seriously injure someone. I have the skills to stop anything, any kind of attack mm. from an unskilled person. So I'd definitely use that before I'd, you know, throw a fist. I'd just make them look silly. <laughs> I think it is so special that in fighting... And, you know, whether you're joining it as a young child or an adult, it still has the ability to teach you some very important aspects of life. Yeah. Being team camaraderie, respect, honour, 
learning how to communicate to people and just treating people the way people are supposed to be treated. I think it has such a beautiful way of teaching people some seriously important life lessons. Yeah, agree. I think a lot of people look at the sport, like even bare knuckle boxing or MMA, if they don't really know much about it, they're like, oh, you know, they kind of screw their nose up at it. Like there's, you know, there's no honour in that and it's just barbaric, but they don't, they don't understand the discipline and the amount of training that goes into it and uh, the mental fortitude that we actually have to put our, you know, our bodies on the line to go out there and compete. So I think it's, it's easy for people to turn their nose up at the sport until they've really tried it. And then, most of the time, if I do get that kind of response, I'll be like, oh, you've, you've got a kid, yeah? And if they do, and I'm like, oh, have you enrolled them in taekwondo or karate or, mm. you know, judo? And they're like, one of, one of those they would have. And I'm like, that's part of mixed martial arts. It's mixed martial arts. So we're trying, we're doing all of these martial arts combined. Mm. And I'm like, so if you're going to screw your nose up at my sport, you're going to have to screw your nose up at your son's. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand. But um I try to educate people about the sport and and the good things about it. And obviously there's some bad things about, you know, getting injured and things like that, but it's definitely changed my life for the good. And um, if I can share that wisdom with other people in hopes that they enrol themselves in some kind of martial arts or their children, um, I'm doing my job. And speaking of your training and the discipline that goes into that, like I've got a note here that every other morning you repeatedly (laughs) smash your hands into sandbags, (laughs) leaving tiny hairline patches. I mean, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's actually that behind me, the, the training system behind me. That's, so that's a ritual that you do? Yeah, it's uh, called iron palm training. It's actually a really old kung fu technique that uh, all the kung fu fighters use to strengthen their hands for combat. So I remember when I first um, I got into sports fighting in New Zealand and they used to smack our shins with like a yeah. wooden stick for the same Stop. thing. Yeah. That was hectic, yeah, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, what if they, I mean, like, can you go too far? I think so. I think yeah. it's, it's tiny little impacts. You don't want to be like smashing them. You can definitely go too far. You can always go too far. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I don't though. Like, it's, not, it's not very long that I do the technique for. It's just a little bit every day and then I rub some uh, liniment oil into it to kind of help heal it. So it's not too crazy. Like oh, I'm pretty sure that's fairly crazy. <laughs> uh, <yep>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So let's backtrack a little. You've had your first son, you're getting your life together, you've walked into this gym, you've obviously come home because you've now figured out that you can get paid for doing the stuff that you really love to do and kick some ass doing it. Tell us about the journey through fighting because obviously you, and this is what we're going to get into, you met your first husband there. Yes. Um, that's I always say it's bittersweet. My story of where I found MMA and fighting um, is also where I met you know, the most abusive person I've ever had to come into um, contact with. So it's um, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a bittersweet story, I guess. See, so yeah, I met him. He was actually training under the same coach as, as me in Tasmania where I first started. That's where I grew up. And that coach went away to Melbourne, I believe. Oh, I've got a terrible memory. <laughs> <laughs> Who would think I'd get punched in the head for a living? <laughs> um, anyway, he went away for a for a week or so. So Dan actually took over the training um, and that's where he kind of kind of got his claws in, I guess you could say. He he treated me really nicely at, at the beginning. You know, he was this kind of mysterious character. He was this fighter and he was lovely to me. And uh, that's where we got, we got closer and formed a relationship. So I was training, training every day, um, hanging out with him every day and it kind of just went on from there. And he wasn't, 
he wasn't abusive at first, but I definitely think looking back now, I could see the red flags if I wanted to see them. Mm. He, he was very, he gaslighted me a lot. Like he made me feel like I'd done something wrong and I hadn't. And I was so confused and all I wanted was him to stop, you know, stop ignoring me, stop being mean to me because I hadn't, I didn't realise I'd done anything wrong, but um, it was just kind of this cat and mouse game that he would play with me and it just, I, I see it now, it was not healthy at all. Um, he would stop talking to me, he'd ghost me for a few days at end for no reason, just randomly just he would block me on social media, block my number, not, not, not return my calls. And then he would pop up again a few days later like nothing had happened. So I was just constantly in this torment um, and confused and just wanted, I just wanted his approval and wanted him to... To, to love me, I guess. Mm. And so that's where it started, the emotional torment. Yeah. And uh, he didn't actually get abusive until the day that I found out I was pregnant with his son, Ensign. Oh. Once I fell pregnant with Ensign is when he first shoved me into a wall and then it escalated from there. God, that's so, I mean, that's such a crazy thing, right? Like you expect when you tell your partner that you're pregnant with their child yeah. for them to be happy, but he was happy for a completely different reason. Yes, yes. He knew that he had his hold on me now and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't leave him. And he, he made sure I felt that way. He, used to, he would tell me that, you know, no one would want me. I have two kids to two different dads. I'm damaged, damaged goods. And he would tell me that every day. And so obviously I had my own issues. Um, I believe, you know, I didn't, didn't really love myself at that point. I, I felt like I kind of deserved what was being said to me and that's why I, I believed it and stuck around. I didn't have my own self-worth at that time. Um, mm. I was also, you know, I was just, a, I was damaged and I was willing to put up with this, this monster um, because I felt deep down that I kind of deserved it. And he just preyed on that. He, he got in between me and my friends. He he uh, basically said oh, it was him or all my friends and that my friends are no good and, and it just gradually got worse and worse. I think he just got more confident that I wasn't going to leave and I wasn't going to tell anyone. Mm. It was kind of easy for me to make excuses for my bruises and, and things because I was training to fight. So yeah. people just assumed it was from training. Mm. So it kind of just, it was, it was much easier for him to hide the abuse and I I covered up for him. I would make excuses for mm. it. And um, it's quite sad that he got me to that mental state where I would do anything to protect him, even though he was just ultimately abusing the shit out of me. So it just shows the the emotional lead up to the abuse. It's not, it doesn't always just start out physical. Mm. The emotional torment was probably the worst for me anyway. Yeah. It got to the point where he would torture me. He would pin me down. He would pour things over my face. Um, he'd pin me down for hours, wouldn't let me up. He choked me unconscious. He elbowed me in the face. He punched me, kicked me. He was, he was horrible. He, he's an evil, evil man, the things that he did to me. And I still stayed. I still, you know, made excuses for it. And it got to the point where I, I would actually welcome the physical abuse because then he would stop and he'd be nice for a day or so oh. and then he'd start again. So I just I just thrived for that break, you know, that day or two break. I'm wondering what goes on psychologically to allow us to remain in a state that is abusive that way, even if it is verbally abusive, there's still a level of abuse that is torment yeah. to you and that you should never have to put yeah. up with. 
have you done some diving into into that side of it and why people do remain in those situations and in those relationships? I know it's easier said than done to pull yourself out. Yeah, I think for myself it got, I felt like I was so deep, like it was almost too late to get out. Like I allowed it for so long, I was embarrassed to kind of reach out to anyone and let them know that this is what's been going on because most of the time that my family, my friends would kind of be like questioning me and then I would make up a lie to cover up for him. So then I've kind of, I felt like I dug myself a hole, like, oh, you know, are they even going to believe me now because I've already lied and made up a story to cover up what he's done to me. Mm. So I felt like I was in too deep. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make it this part too, like it's not just about the physical side of things. No. You know, like there is that level of emotional abuse in there. And I think a lot of people almost convince themselves that they're not in an abusive relationship because mm-hmm. there are no physical It's not physical bruises. yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like when was the moment for you that you kind of went, holy shit, like I could really lose my life here? That's the scary part is that It wasn't even to protect myself. This is the scary part that I look back on now is if I didn't have my kids, I don't know if I ever would have left Mm. and I don't know if I'd still be here today because the only reason I left was because he threatened the boys. And that was when my mum instincts, you know, kicked in. I was like, "I I have to protect my kids. This is no longer about me. He's threatened these kids and if I stay, they're in danger. And that was the only reason... I packed up their things. Um, I left with one backpack full of their clothes. I left everything that I had ever owned, anything. Um, I didn't even have a toothbrush and I left while he was sleeping through the night with the kids and it was the most terrifying, terrifying um, moment to try and sneak out of this this house with a a toddler and, you know, a a baby and a toddler and, um, you know, sneak them into the car and get out of the driveway before he realises. So... Um, and it was honestly just to save them. It wasn't. I didn't care about myself, and that's how low he got me, that I did not care what he did to me. I didn't care if I wound up dead or not. Yeah. And it's a sad case, I think, for a lot of people that get stuck in those situations. They just, they stop caring, they stop Mm. feeling, and um, you're kind of just dead inside. Was there one threat that pushed you to this point? Yeah, he... um, it was the day before Mother's Day. He pulled a kitchen knife out of the drawer and he said that um, he was going to kill kill me and kill the kids and kill himself. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Now that is confronting. Yeah, yeah it was fight or flight and uh, my reaction was flight. I just want to say first off, like, good on you yeah. for leaving that situation, for recognising that you had to leave the situation at that moment and for getting yourself out and for getting your kids out. You know, I can only imagine the amount of courage and strength that it took. So it shows so much of your character right there and then. Yeah. Thank you. I would love to know what tools, what accessories did you use to help you along that journey post leaving that abusive relationship? I I struggled a lot talking to people and opening up to people. Um, I've actually realised that talking and sharing and asking other people's, you know, opinions and and how they've dealt with things is actually really helps. And so, Mm. you know, elite athletes and um, fighters, you know, we have our demons, we have our, our troubles. I don't think, you know, a normal 
level-headed person throws themselves in a cage and fights people. So <laughs> Definitely a unique uh, kind of human. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not saying we're, we're bad or we're troubled, but we definitely have our... We have our, our, our reasons for, for what we do. And so I found it easy to talk to people mm-hmm. in my gym, my training partners, my coaches. And I think that definitely helped me kind of accept that something had happened to me and it doesn't define me. It doesn't make me who I am today per se. It has changed me, but I can change for the good. It doesn't mean it's changed me for the bad and and I can use it as power and not as something that's holding me back. Mm. Obviously your kids are your why and the reason that you really fought to survive. But do you think that the process of getting back in the gym and rebuilding through training helped save your life by giving you a new goal and something else to focus on? It's Yeah, it's been a a long road, but I think definitely talking to people and not being ashamed or embarrassed Mm. of of your past and talking about it to grow from it, not to hide it and kind of pretend like it didn't happen. And so talking about growth, what are some of the, the methods that you use to prime your mind state? Um, I definitely do, I visualise with fighting, I visualise a lot. Um, But self-affirmations was a a big thing that I used for my last fight camp. I used to think it was so silly. (laughs) Like like these idiots, like telling themselves they're the greatest or this and that. And I used to just think it was so silly, but um, now I don't. It works. It works. (laughs) Even if you feel like an idiot, it works. I know. I can totally resonate with it. I completely understand and I have experienced that it does work. Yes. Well, it's interesting because I read this this article once and it said that the most mentally tough people in the world are the people who are able to use gratitude as a tool. Yeah. So, for example, like the diver who has his arm bitten off by a shark and he's obviously devastated that he's lost his arm, but he's incredibly grateful to just be alive. Yeah. Or the UFC fighter that is, you know, turns up to the ring and looks at her opponent and is like, holy shit, this is next level. They might be terrified at that moment of failure or whatever it is, but they're also incredibly grateful to be able to compete at that level. Is that true yeah. for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think rising to the occasion, I would call that. Yeah. I'm amazed at what I can put my body through. <laughs> and <Us too>. um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that I want to continue putting my body through that. Yeah. <laughs> and taking taking the good with the bad. And yeah, definitely like I've I've learned more from my losses than I have some of my wins. And I think that's a part of um, gratitude. You know, you need to go through loss to appreciate the wins. Mm. I definitely feel like we don't give our brain enough credit. Words, sister. <laughs> or our human bodies enough credit for what we are capable of. And it's just about, honestly, self-belief and not giving up and and just keep pushing yourself. And it's just, it's incredible what we can do if we just put our mind to it. Oh. Oh, you're speaking to my soul. I know. <laughs> oh. I know. I was just saying, because I've like, I did one corporate fight and I had oh, to yeah, say, cool. oh, no, seriously, my nose was on the other side of my face. So it was not that great. <laughs> but I have to say, like, I, like, I love fear. Like, I chase fear and I'm an absolute adrenaline junkie. And I thought I was prepared. Like, I thought I was fit. And I have to tell you that the, that six minutes was probably arguably the mm-hmm. most terrifying six minutes <laughs> of my life. And if you've ever watched a fight at home and you're sitting on the couch and you're like, why are they stuck in the corner and why don't they have their hands up and why aren't they doing yeah. this? I remember for the last 30 seconds of my fight being pinned in this corner, having the absolute shit beaten out of me and thinking, I totally get it. I totally know why they haven't <laughs> like, done anything because they're stuck here and I'm so tired and I just want this to be yeah. over. 
Something to be yeah. said by being a, a couch warrior, that's for sure. I mean, I used to do it when um, I used to watch Ninja oh. Warrior and before I was able to get onto Ninja Warrior, yeah, I used to be that person. I'm like, come on, you know, you can jump higher, go faster, blah, blah, blah. And then I had the opportunity to be a part of Ninja Warrior and I'm looking up at those obstacles going, all right, I see why they can't do these things. Yeah. And it's like it's yeah, perception it's a is so different, different from this view. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> for sure. Hey, look, you know, I'm like a huge fan of like Rocky and Creed films. I have watched all of them and every time I watch them, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a fight and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then I'm like, I remember the broken nose. I'm like, yeah, not going to do that. But, you know, you've got your training sort of off-season, I want to say, and then you've got a fight camp. Do the fight camps resemble those movies or what does a fight camp look like for you? Uh, yeah, different fight camps can be pretty gritty. Um, I don't do any of that, you know, hitting dead carcasses hanging from <laughs> butcher shops. <laughs> it's definitely very dramatised. but um, Devastated yeah, it, is, it is hard. Like, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the gym, I've got sparring partners that want to punch my head in, um, coaches that want to see me cry. So <laughs> it gets emotional and it gets it gets hard, but um, it builds mental fortitude and I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it. I love testing my body, testing my mental. So, um, but yeah, it definitely gets gritty and especially some of my MMA camps were pretty pretty gnarly, to be honest. Just the, just the types of sparring and grinding sessions that we had uh, getting ready for some of those fights were intense. So especially, you know, like I used to travel to San Diego and train for six to eight weeks over there. I'd leave my kids here. I'd go over there by myself. I would stay in the fighter dorms full of stinky guys. And it was definitely um, character building, I guess, is the way you could explain it. But it's, it's made me the fighter I am today. So it's, if it's easy, it's not worth having. That's what I keep telling myself. Oh, my God, absolutely. That's so great. Can you give us an idea of what an average training day looks like? An average training day when I'm in fight camp is a bit different to just out of camp. You know, um, when I don't have a fight booked in, I usually just focus on skill-based stuff, just doing technical stuff, you know, getting better in my skills. But when I have a fight booked in, that's when the intensity really ramps up. Uh, it's usually twice twice a day, two training sessions. I'll train in the morning. I'm usually there for a good hour and a half, two hours if I take the time to stretch, which I haven't been doing lately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it just depends what's on on that day. It can it either entail uh, sparring in the morning and then I'll have my treadmill sprints uh, in the afternoon or it can be my strength and conditioning workouts with I do a lot of bare knuckle drills now because I'm fighting bare knuckles so a lot of open hand kind of drills no gloves no nothing conditioning my hands and then I I integrate pad work as well technical pad work or um, punch out rounds on the bag it really just depends on my next session or if I've got sparring the next day what we work on Saturday I train once just try and do a little shakeout and some mobility. And then Sunday is complete rest for me. So by the time I hit Sunday, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so it sounds like you have fairly structured recovery days then, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, when I was fighting MMA, my coach would actually give the girls in the team Wednesday off because he found that we perform better with an extra rest day compared to the guys. He figured out that our body wasn't recovering. So it was like, quantity over quality and he'd rather us be there fresh and actually get good sessions out instead of just you know trying to get through a session and, and leaving the session feeling like shit so um 
I always had Wednesdays off with MMA just because it's a lot different kind of um, sport to get used to and get ready for. Bare knuckle and boxing, I don't need to have the Wednesday off, but I will supplement with lighter sessions if I'm feeling beat up. If I've had a really hard sparring session, I usually spar Wednesdays and Friday mornings. So depending how hard the spar was, I'll either change up my afternoon session with something lighter, something more technical. I really just, now as I've gotten older and, you know, I've trained at a lot of different gyms under a lot of different coaches, I've kind of figured out what's best for my body and how I respond to, you know, different kinds of coaching styles. And I've, I really have to listen to my body and take that rest when I, when I need it. You've talked about how you've got rest days. Do you have other recovery practices that you use? Like you seem to me that you would be sadistic enough to put yourself through like an ice bath or something. <laughs> I actually hate <laughs> ice baths. I do have an infrared sauna. I bought one for my um, home gym. I've got a lot. Oh. I've got lots of little recovery toys. I just bought. We've got an inversion table where you hang upside down. What? Um, your legs lock into it and it flips you upside down and you just hang like a bat and it really decompresses your um, oh your spine. And it's, it's awesome. You've got to kind of build up to it because all the blood rushes to your head and then you can get really dizzy. <laughs> but, yeah, I do a lot of recovery. I've got the those compression boots as well, the big boots that go on your legs and that basically compresses your legs intermittently and um, it, like, restricts the blood flow and then it releases so then all the blood flow rushes to your muscle and um, just really um, improves blood circulation, muscle recovery and things like that. So if I'm sitting on the couch watching... TV or whatever, I'll just chuck the boots on and and try and get, you know, some recovery for my legs. So, yeah. Are you strict with your nutrition? Uh, Yes. During fight camp, I am. Outside of fight camp, I could definitely um, use some work. (laughs) 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 Uh, I do like to eat and I like margaritas and um, they're not so great for for athletic performance. But, yeah, during during fight camp, I'm, I'm quite strict. I'm lucky now that I'm fighting... Uh, at a higher weight now, so I don't really have to completely starve myself like I used to. So it's more of a balanced diet now. With training, I've also altered, you know, my nutrition. I've figured out what my body responds to, how it works, um, what it needs. So it's not too hard for me to make weight and and get into shape. Mm. Now, look, but you, I mean, you are incredible, not with just you've achieved both inside and outside the ring, but, like, I wanted to say here that you are really unique in that, In Wyoming in 2018, you became the only woman in the world to win America's oldest and most prestigious prize in bare knuckle boxing, the Police Gazette belt. Now, that's like the first time in, what, over 200 years. Keyword only. Yeah. Only. Only. Only only female. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of, like, the ultimate successes, is that right up there with what you would have wanted to achieve in your fighting career? I think so, you know. Like, it it didn't feel real when it first happened. I I came home. Um, and I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, wow, like I actually did make history. Like I am the first ever to win this belt. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, and it kind of sunk in. So it's cool that I'm kind of building a legacy and I'm going to be like my tooth. I broke my tooth in my last fight and that's in the um, Bare Knuckle Hall of Fame frame. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> get out of town. Yeah. Like, it's it. cool. Like um, I don't look at myself as someone like that would be in a museum, but I am. So it's like, it's so, it's confusing. <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. It is so funny. So what are you training for now? 
I'm currently in fight camp right now. I'm fighting against a girl I've already fought and beat. So, and we kind of got a little bit of beef. She doesn't like me and I don't like her. So it's going to be even better to punch her in the face again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's book our tickets. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) You know, here the boxing scene is massive. It's not, um, not hard to get the right training here in Australia for that. It's, It's only ever been difficult to get the right training for MMA. Just, um, there's just not as many girls and not as many um, high-level uh, girls in MMA here. But boxing is a different story with Australia. We've always had some great athletes coming out of here. So Epic. it's been good. I've um, been cross-training at some gyms for, to get some sparring, high-level sparring with some girls. Wow. You've got a incredible support around. You've got an amazing coach who happens to be your now partner. Yes. <laughs> and support is key during this time, right? I mean, you're, you're on a training yeah. camp. What does that look like for the people in your life, in particular your children? Yeah, it's good. Like um, Adrian, obviously supportive, but he also doesn't let me get away with shit. So he's Beautiful. still my coach. <laughs> you know, he's like got that quite that good balance where he's like, you know, you are my partner and I do want you to be happy, but you need to get your ass out of bed and go for a run. I love it. <laughs> and do your kids, like, do they watch your fight? Yeah, they do now. They do now. They used to... They kind of used to be confused. They thought mummy was training on TV. <laughs> yeah. They've only just realised now that their mum's cool. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, that is gold. I love that. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, yeah, now they show a lot of interest. You know, they would be looking up to you, no doubt. They are, yes. They definitely are. So your kids understand what you do. They're proud of mum. Are they okay with watching it now? Um... See, I'm, I'm still like that. Like, they only watch me on TV. They've never come to yep. a live fight. Even when I fought here, I fought in Brisbane and Adelaide and Sydney for the USC, but uh, they didn't come to them. Yep. I kind of feel like it's a bit confronting. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, especially in MMA. Like, I could get kicked in the head again and get knocked out. So <laughs> Totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I think it's very confronting. I think as they're getting older, like, my eldest is 13 now. Uh, he's, you know, got the maturity to understand I think if he was to ask to come to it live, I'd let him. Like, he came to Adrian's last fight and so did Ensign and that was okay. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit different when it's your mum in there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel a little bit weird about that as well. I think it could be very mentally scarring for them if something bad was to happen to me. Yes. Well, at least in this instance you can control what they see if they're not coming to the yeah. fight physically. You can control it. Yeah, I think for now they'll just watch on TV. <laughs> yeah. One of my favourite quotes is like, be the role model you wish you had when you were younger. And I think you've absolutely managed to do that and beyond. So what is your next goal? Well, I'm hoping to to keep defending my belt and and keep fighting in bare knuckle for as long as I can, as long as my body allows me to. Uh, I love competing and I don't, uh, like even this past year, has just been a bit hard to try and deal with not being able to go and compete and test myself. It's kind of like I haven't had a goal to chase and I've kind of lost myself a little bit Mm. there. It was hard to stay motivated um, with no end game for me. So I definitely feel like I always need a goal set in place. Um, So I think once I retire, I'd like to open a gym and and kind of pass on and educate other kids growing up and, and fighting and, and kind of pass on my legacy to them. So it'd be cool to, have my own, you know, group of fighters and my own fight gym and and keep it going like that. I think I need to stay in the sport. (laughs) I don't think I could see myself leaving. I can't wait to see that. I mean, lastly, what advice would you give the audience that's listening right now if they are struggling with motivation or commitment or even struggling 
in the position that they find themselves now just to get out and put themselves in a better position or mindset? I think the biggest thing is nothing easy is worth having. I think if you have to work towards something, it's going to be rewarding. Mm. So don't be afraid of hard work because it will pay off. And there's nothing better than like the feeling of accomplishment. So yeah, just get out there, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid. Yeah, I like the saying like live by the sword, die by the sword. I'd rather go out guns of blazing than never go out at all. So just give it your all and see what happens. You know, it could pay off. I think it paid off. Boom. You're a legend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we went out guns blazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. I wish we had hours and hours to chat with I you know. because your successes are amazing. Your story is incredible. Thank you. As well as empowering. And you are an incredible human yourself. So thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Good oh, luck. my gosh. Don't need luck when you've got talent. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. That's what I always say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. How Fitness Saved My Life is hosted by me, Action Alexa. And me, Jenna Louise. Producer, Tina Madelov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. And executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.